0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Who is the church or what is the church? We are the church. Okay, you guys are good. I like that. So we are the church. It's not a building, but it's it's a gathering. It's people. We are the church, right? There's the local church, the local gathering, and then there's also the universal body. And that's really where we started talking about last week that universal body that kind of goes globally and into every area of life, and how each of us have a mission field. There's nobody in here who's called upon the name of Jesus that does not have purpose and value and a calling. All of us do, because we're all still breathing. We all still draw breath. We woke up this morning, and we were given a mission field, and it is our circumstances our life, the life we've been given, is a gift from God that can be given back to him and used for purpose, and I think that's special. So that's what we talked about last week. Every believer is a member of the body. Every believer is a minister to the body and to the world, and I think that's special. So uh, you guys got to see that diagram last week, if you'll remember that. Remember the, the nice stick figure that I, I drew for you guys? That was a gift. Um, had Jesus as the head, and we are the body, and the DNA of Christ was the fruit of the Spirit, and then it had our mission field, our current circumstances, and our job. And do you guys remember what our job is? Our mission here? Let's say it together. Love God. Love people. Be discipled. Make disciples. One more time. Love God. Love people. Be discipled. Make disciples. All right. I like the the engagement back and forth. It helps us remember. It's simple. That's the point. And hopefully next week we'll have some time to really unpack the last part that be discipled, make disciples, especially the make disciples. I think we get intimidated by that, right? Because it seems big. Like I don't know if I have anything to disciple someone with. Well, we'll cover that because I think it's more simple than you think. But today we're gonna focus on that first part. But before we do that, I wanna pray. And then uh, we're just going to do a fast review from last week because there's an important statement I want to make before we finish today. Lord, we have much to be thankful for here. I still think regardless of what has happened in 2020, we have far more to be thankful for than to complain about. And what's best of all, Lord, as followers of you, even the difficult things in our lives right now, even the difficult things in our church, we can thank you for because we know your purposes are good for those who follow you. And we know you work things for good for those who follow you. And, and because of that, we can worship and be thankful even for the difficult things we're going through now. So Lord, today, as we, as we start going more into the church and as we learn more about, this is your bride. This is your body. You died for your church. Lord, would you, would you light our hearts on fire? Would you give us your heart to be able to feel what you feel towards your body? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, just a quick recap from last week. Uh, Last week I said you cannot miss your calling because your calling is your circumstances. It starts there. And so, I, I don't want us to become imbalanced in that. Now, I want to make sure that everyone's hearing, that we're all hearing the same thing. I'm not saying that God never calls you away from something, He will. Absolutely, He does that to people. Uh, I could give you many stories. I have my own stories of that. Many of you will have stories of that. All I'm saying is don't be a bench warmer. Don't be a bench warmer waiting your whole life for some call that may or may not come when God has already given you a calling in your life. And that's why we had that verse. Remember 1 Corinthians 7, each one of you should remain as you were when God called you. So the goal isn't to change your circumstances as soon as you become a Christian in order to have purpose in a call. The goal is to answer the call right where you are. And in the midst of that, to be making sure that you're giving God margin within your life so that he can steer and direct you as you you go. And in many cases, for many of us, He will instruct us to pour our lives out for the people that are around us in our life circumstances. And we may not have massive changes or be called into some big ministry vocation. But that's okay because if everyone was called to do what I'm doing or was called to work in the church, who would be doing the ministry outside of the church? And there's way more people outside the church than inside the church, tragically. So we need more ministers actually out there than we do in here. There's just different kinds of ministry. It's different, it's not, it's not one's better than the other. They are equally valuable and important. Your role, your purpose, everybody in here, young and old, is every bit as important as anything that I could ever offer. It's just different. And then we have to understand that. So it's very important that we get it. It's not about waiting for a call. You can't miss your call, okay? You can't miss it. You simply need to start engaging in it where you're at. So if you're a student, if you're a minimum wage worker, if you're, you know, if you're wealthy, if you're a business owner, manager, service worker, salesperson, parent, mom, homeschool teacher, teacher at school, government worker, there isn't a job. Like, whatever you're doing, I mean, I'm sure we could find some jobs that maybe are not good, but uh, but there isn't a job. Like, most jobs can be your calling right where you are if you simply engage God. So I just want to say one statement, and this is really what I wanted to get to before we move on, because we talked about not being able to miss your calling, and you can't. I firmly believe that. However, you can't ignore it. That you can do, because you are put in a mission field, but clearly you have choice. We all do. I do. You do. We all get to choose what we do with the day that we are given today. We all get to choose what to do with the life that we are given. So, in that sense, Certainly we can't miss our calling in the sense of where we were wanting to do God's will, we were wanting to engage, we wanted to give back, but we just never saw our opportunity and then it missed us. In that sense, never. Nobody misses their calling that way. But yet, tragically, I believe many believers, and we've seen it, many people do ignore their calling. And for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's because of sin that they're stuck in or just ignorance. They don't know what to do or fear and they're paralyzed. There's lots of reasons, but, but, but that's the important thing I wanted to say here for this. So now today we're going to move on to the next part. What do we do in our calling? And so that's what I want to really focus on this, this next week and the week after, or sorry, this next week and this week. First thing is, known for our love. Remember the first part, great commandment. Love, Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second which is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now you might say, we really keep hammering this one this year. That's a, it's great. You know what? Considering how trunk, it is such a root and trunk issue, I don't think you could actually hit it enough. When Jesus goes on to say that the entire law can be fulfilled in one word, to love, right? I, I don't think we can hit it enough. I think we probably need to do more in giving it justice and helping people understand what does it mean to actually fulfill that law? What does it look like? What does it mean? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you agree that our world is saturated by slogans that, that would say things like love is the answer? I mean, love is the answer that's used against the church. I shouldn't smile. I'm not, that's not funny. But it's true, isn't it? Love is the answer, and that's a criticism to us. As though the world understands love and we don't. And yet, Scripture says we're to be known by our love. So, Scripture says, love, your ability to love one another, to bear with one another. Your your love for one another will set you apart as belonging to Jesus, as to which body you belong to. And yet, the world champions the same thing. Now, that might make some of us uncomfortable because, well, I mean, if we're supposed to be identified by love, but then if other people love, I mean, then really what is setting us apart? What makes us different? So that's a good question. I mean, have you ever met a non-believer? Hopefully you have. Have you ever met a non-believer that treated you with respect and kindness? I have. I know some really good non-believers, unbelievers, right? They don't believe in Jesus, but they're very nice people. On the flip side, have you ever met a believer who acted terribly? Have you ever been that believer who acted terribly? I have. You don't have to raise your hands. I totally have been that believer, um, which is terrible. But anyways, I've been that person. So now you look at that and you say, wait a second. So non-believers can be good people. They can be loving. They can be respectful and they can be kind. Believers, myself included, can act wickedly towards people and do everything but be kind. So this is actually valuable for us to to kind of dive in. I mean, what does Scripture say about this? Does Scripture support the idea that unbelievers can also love? And I think it does. Look at this. Matthew 5, 46 to 48, For if you love those who love you, what what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And I like that next line. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? You see, that's the important thing. Like, there's this standard that he's setting, but I think sometimes... We've actually taken a standard that should be up here and we've kind of compared it to the world. We've kind of set it somewhere further down here and we run into lots of problems that way because then we're not actually setting ourselves apart as belonging to Jesus as opposed to those that belong to the world. I mean, Galatians five twenty-two to 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I mean, it kind of sounds like a friendly, happy, nice person, doesn't it? I know people like that. Well, if you look at how God made us, remember, so he has this high calling, and yet he's saying, if you love those, if I go back one, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, why would he say that? Isn't it still good to love those who love you? Wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. But the reason why he's saying that is because if you look at the psychology for how we relate to people and how we attach, what you find is the way God made us is in such a way that when I like somebody... When I like somebody, when I'm in a relationship and there's a, a reciprocal kind of give-and-take action that's going on, I am designed to naturally want to love, some, to, to love that person in return. It's, it's actually how I'm wired. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And what's really interesting is if you would go forward and, and uh, I'll just skip forward Now there, Here we go. 1 um, Corinthians, love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, insists on its own way, it's not irritable, resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Wow, rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's amazing, it's defining what love is supposed to look like, but again, I would say, when you are in a relationship where you are loving those who love you, we naturally do all those things. I naturally want to do that with my kids and with my wife and with my friends. Of course I do. Of course I do. And it doesn't take a lot of prayer to get me there either. It's just because I want to. And that's why Jesus, he's not saying don't do that. He's saying, yeah, continue doing that. But everybody does that. Doesn't matter what you believe. You all do that. We all do that. And that's how he made us. And what I do find kind of fascinating about that is, in a sense, when you look at that and how he designed us, in a sense, to some way, shape, or form. Remember, there's standards, high standard of love to lower standard of love. But in a sense, every person on the earth bears the image of Christ in how they love others, at least to some level. And I think that's kind of neat because only God would set it up in such a way that even those who reject him actually give him glory in the way that they love people. (laughs) I think that's neat. All right, so now we have this and it's getting kind of confusing. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable. So you're saying we're known by our love, Yep, I'm agreeing with that. We're known by our love. However, you're also saying in the same breath that non-believers can also be known for their love. So what is it that makes us different? Because doesn't Jesus talk about fruit? And he sounds pretty convincing about fruit. Look at this. You will recognize them by their fruits. Right? He's saying, uh, this, this is in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we know these people that are coming, pretending to be something that they're not. So this is someone who's actually trying to deceive. So Jesus is confident here that even though the deception, they may look good, the the fruit test is so strong, it's going to reveal who they are. That's how good this fruit test is. He says, our grapes gathered from thorn bushes, our figs from thistles. So every healthy tree produces good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now look, look at this statement. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? Oh, maybe I didn't go... Oh, yeah, I had it on there. All right, back. Yep. All right, so he's pretty definitive on this. So we know you will know a tree by the fruit that is produced. And we know... We just covered the the Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. That's part of what should be seen in our lives that should identify us as different. Love is a defining characteristic in that fruit of the Spirit. And yet we kind of know already a little bit with how we've seen things in the world, it seems to be a hard metric to use because a lot of people love. So to help us understand this, because I think that's what we want to focus on, the main part of today is how can we understand this in such a way that we can see the different levels so that we can be set apart. The first thing you have to understand is what is fruit? What is fruit? And I think what we often do is we, we, we lower fruit down to a feeling. Now, we know it's not just a feeling, but somehow it is a feeling at the same time, right? I mean, love and joy and peace, those sound like feelings. They're, they're things that feel good. So in a sense, there's like a feeling kind of component to it. So I look for people who are positive and nice, right? I mean, that is going to be, I mean, they're, they're joyful, they're happy, they're at peace. That might be it. So I want to make sure we understand this. What is fruit? And as we talk about fruit, your fruit is your actions and reactions. That's why we can see it in someone. So it's not a feeling which is fleeting, which changes from day to day. It's not like you have a bad day and suddenly you don't have the Holy Spirit in you because you're not happy or a non-believer has a happy day and they suddenly have the the Spirit of God in them and they're bearing his fruit, it's different. The fruit we're supposed to look for is actions and reactions, and that should give us peace because that's something we can see, it's demonstrable. We can see it, we can see what people do. We can see how they behave. We can see how they handle mistakes. And this is really where our love is supposed to begin to already step away from the non-believer and set us apart. Because we're called to a higher level of morality and, and living. Our actions and reactions are supposed to put us up at a higher level. So I want to give a, a definition. So the worldly love is really kind of focused on right loving those who love me. right? And there will be a level of altruism in there too. loving those, Loving the poor, people that you don't know, and strangers and neighbors. Absolutely, I know good people that don't know Jesus that would believe that those are good things and they act them out. But yet, Christians, it's kind of like, you know, the Moses, uh, when they were doing the the miracles, Moses was throwing miracles, and then the Egyptian uh, 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 miracle workers were also doing it, and eventually, right, they couldn't match the miracles. That's exactly what we're talking about here with love, right? We all are able to love to a level, but the Christian love eventually is supposed to far surpass, and that's what I'm getting at. And one of the things that makes it definingly different is this, we love God first, That should already set your love apart from any non-believer. Your love for Jesus should be seen in your life. People shouldn't have to guess who you're serving. And I'm not saying we go around and every time you meet someone, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, okay? I think you can turn people off that way and push them away. There's, There's better ways to reach people. But people who spend any quality time with you or any amount of time with you over a period of time, if they can't see or if they don't find out that you love Jesus first, then that's the first sign that we're not actually loving at the level that Jesus is calling us to love because we love with that love that he offers us. That's the first sign. So that's the first thing that separates our love from the world's love is we love Jesus first, which means we don't forsake him. We we don't compromise, right? He is the focal point. He sets the standard. And the second thing is, remember we talked about the psychology of love. We all do 1 Corinthians 13 with those we care about. Our difference, again, is the second part is we love all people equally. We are supposed to love all people equally in the same way that God so loved the world and he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. He so loved the world equally. It's equal love given to all people. He died for every person, even those that would reject him. It's equal love, equal high level sacrificial covenant type of love that is far different than what you can find in the, in the world. Like I said, at the lower levels, sure, absolutely yes. Right, and as we climb, there's some that will start falling away, but eventually the love that we have is supposed to be much higher. And you'll, you'll see it here. Um, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Right, think about that, think of that calling. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, for he makes his sun rise in the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and unjust. Equal charity he gives, equal charity to all people. I think that's pretty special. So now, taking all this into consideration, remember we talked about Galatians 5. So I wanna head back there. And we have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all that kind of stuff. So. I've had conversations with people for years on this one, particularly, and people who feel tremendous guilt for struggling with anxiety. And I have been one of them uh, at multiple times in my life. Right? Uh, anxiety has been an unfortunately close friend to me uh, for too many years. But, uh, anyways, you, you wrestle on the inside when you see the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Ah, peace, peace and yet I don't feel peace, I feel anxious. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't trust God? Maybe maybe there's a level of that in there. I'm sure at some level, we all don't trust God, right? Because we haven't seen, we see but dimly, but but does it mean that I don't have the Holy Spirit in me? Does it mean that I have pushed him out of my life, that I can't bear fruit? So is the fruit of the Spirit, to see a Spirit-filled person, is it inhingent on their feelings? Or is it something more? and I believe it's something more, all we have to do is look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out in bitterest grief. You don't see bitterest grief on that list, do you? And yet, would any of us ever think that Jesus ever walked a day without the Holy Spirit fullness in him? Of course not. So then what was it? Well, going back to Galatians, and I took the, sorry, for for sake of space that I couldn't get the quote. It's Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But what I did is I added verbs on there. Now, you might say you could have added better verbs if you're reading ahead. Okay, just, just bear with me. And if you could think of a better verb t- to turn each one into an action, then you are welcome to do that and go and live that out. Okay? But what I'm doing here is I want to change the way we look at it, like with peace. So when I have anxiety, does that mean that I can't be doing things for God? And the answer to that is no, because I can still be a peacemaker. And that is what we're called to do. We're not just called to sit there and feel peace all the time. Jesus himself did not feel peace in the sense of that emotion of peace in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's bleeding out of his sweat glands. Knowing what's coming, he didn't feel peace, but yet he was still a peacemaker. I mean, look what he was doing. He was doing the ultimate sacrifice to be the ultimate peacemaker, to reconcile all creation to himself. Even in the moment of his most severe distress, Jesus was bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He was a peace maker and that should both give us tremendous hope because it's more attainable but as you as I'm going to start defining as we go through it you're going to realize it both gives us hope when we realize these are things we do because it's something I can now live in even if I'm overwhelmed but we also start to realize the bar gets risen much much higher when you try to live this way because you don't just live this way with your best friend this is how we are called to live even with our enemies, even with those that we are against. We offer those that are against us the same charity and generosity and grace and forgiveness and love and gentleness that we would the person we love more than anything else. And that is the high call that is on each one of our lives in our mission field, wherever that may be. Wonderful. So the fruit of the Spirit, actions and reactions of the Spirit-filled person. You still need the Holy Spirit to do this. We have to have the Holy Spirit inside of us to do this. And we'll look at some, some steps that'll help us at the end of the message. So love in action. It's something you do, not something you necessarily feel. And that's important. You might have someone that's hard to love and you don't feel like loving them, but you can still choose to love them. You can still choose to lay yourself down for them. You can still choose to bless them and be an encourager. That's what we're talking about. What about joy bringer? So joy bringer, maybe, maybe you have someone at work or in your, your mission field, and they're constantly using sarcasm against you and they're tearing you down. So instead of being defensive, instead of trying to tear them down and knock them down a notch or two, you realize that people who do that do it because of their insecurity. So what you do as a a get back is you choose to be a joy bringer into their life. You look for all the things that you love about them, the things that they are good at, and you begin to be an encourager to them. You be the relentless encourager, the voice of God in their life, reminding them that there is good in them, that there is value in them. You can be that. You can be a joy bringer. I know that, maybe my English is terrible on here, but you got to bear with me, right? If you think of a better word, like I said, do it. Be a peacemaker. Are you actively working for peace? This is something we've talked about even within our own current climate and struggles that we're going through. How do we handle conflict? Look at all of the things going on in the world, not just here, the leadership struggles. We've had challenges, yes. Are we praying for peace? Are we working towards peace with our words inside of church and outside? What about with COVID and how we handle our opinions? Right, do we have to be right? Or are we working to show grace and to create peace and to be peacemakers, even when we share opposing opinions with someone? You look at a lot of the racial tension that is going around the world and it's awful. Some of the things that are being uncovered that have been done are awful. And we need to stand up for people's freedoms and rights. But by standing up for people here, Are we waging war against people here? Or are we reflecting the love of Jesus to all people who went to the cross and cried out forgiveness, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what we're called to do. Are we peacemakers? Are we patient endurers of suffering? The way we suffer should be markedly different than the rest of the world. Markedly different. Are we patient endurers? Where is our hope? And I'll tell you, one of the key things to becoming a patient endurer is remembering that your hope is for another place, it's not here. If you get trapped in that lie that every, it's all about this life, you will not have patient endurance through struggle. But when you embrace that you have a heavenly home, that you're a foreigner in this land, Sometimes that, that struggle that we feel here, that overwhelm that we feel here, that, that longing for something different is actually just a God-given longing because you're not meant to stay here. So with that, do we patiently endure suffering, especially for the sake of our faith and for others? Do we show kindness, especially when it's unwarranted, right? Do we show kindness? Can we give a kind word to a harsh email or to a harsh uh, criticism that you receive, can you respond with kindness? Can you give genuine thanks? Can you can you respond and and speak that good into someone? Right, when you receive criticism, do you see the worst in that person? They just don't understand. They're just jerks. If I can say the sorry for little kids, do you say those harsh things like that? But or do you see this? This is someone who who probably has a story behind their life. They probably have experiences that led to them feeling this way and they're probably insecure and there's probably a part of them that wants to do genuine good and right in the world. And maybe they're just missing the mark but don't we all miss the mark? Don't we all want that kindness given to us when we make a mistake? I do. Don't you love this list? It's so good. That's why I said, in one sense, I'm going to like, hopefully this opens your eyes and you say, oh, this is attainable. Now I have steps to take. But in another sense, it raises the bar to such an impossibly high level. You can see why only a spirit-filled person will be able to do this in harsh climates. Do we remain faithful? Faithfulness, right? Are we faithful followers and promise keepers? And what do I mean by followers? Remember, we love not just as the world loves. It's not a passive kind of, it's an active love and we love Jesus first. He is the head of this body. So as such, are we faithful followers or do we live lives with compromise? Do we compromise in worldliness and sin and just kind of wasting our time? Do we ignore our calling? And I'm not saying that rest is bad. I'm actually learning to rest more in the last two years. It's a hard thing to kind of get. I have one speed, it's usually go. And when I stop, I get agitated. So I'm learning how to stop. And that's an important thing for for being healthy. But, But what are we doing with our time? Are we faithful followers? Are we living for him or are we living for us? Again, that's one of the fruits that should be evident in our lives, who we live for. People shouldn't have to guess. If they have any time to observe us, they shouldn't have to guess. And promise keepers, are we faithful in our promise keepers? Do we keep to our word even when it hurts? Even when it hurts, that's it. And lastly, are we gentle responders? And I know some of these are very similar. Well, there's self-control as well, but gentle responders, when you're attacked, how do you respond? When someone kicks you, do you kick them back? Or do you do what Jesus said? When you're slapped on the cheek, do you turn the other also? When a soldier demands you carry his gear one mile, you're like, well, that might not ever happen to me. Well, apply it to your situation. Do you carry it two miles? Someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, and you're like, here, I got a cloak as well. You seem to be in need. That's wild. That is like, that's wild living that will set you apart, and it makes you attractive to the world, but yet it'll make you hated by many because it shows who you belong to. And lastly, self-control, right? Actions and reactions. This is one of the criticisms that comes against the church, and I hear it lots. Two things. They are judgmental and hypocritical. So let's very fast address that so we can get on to how do we grow in Christ-like love. But very fast here, judgmental and hypocritical. We don't want to be known for that, but the problem is we are kind of hypocritical. Bear with me you're like, I'm not a hypocrite. Well, here's the thing. We say we live at this standard, but really we live at this standard, right? It's not lining up. There's a little bit of cognitive dissonance going on here, and it'll be hard to avoid because even me, I'm preaching to something that I'm striving to become, and I'm not even close to there yet, right? So you might look at my life and say he's hypocritical. So how do we combat that? I'll tell you how. Humility. That's how. Humility. Stop going around pretending that you both know the law and live at 100% and start letting people see your flaws. So you struggle with anxiety. Then you can tell people, instead of just being a bear, tell them, yeah, I struggle with anxiety. That's something that I've been working on. I'm trying to get better at loving. trying to get better at doing it. Let them see it. Let them watch you. It's not just how you fall because if you just fall and pretend like it didn't happen, people say, ah, see, you're no different than anybody else. So then be different. Fall, get back up, own your failure, and then keep trying. That'll set you apart. Keep going. Keep being hopeful. That will set you apart. And the other one on the judgmental side, well, that one, if we are judgmental or known for that way, we got to stop. Love first. Don't be critical of people's actions if you haven't ever shown them love first right? While you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So let's make sure we're bearing that fruit first before we're being the truth tellers, right? Anyways, that's that. Don't you love that? Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Verbs, actions, doing. Something that I do. How can I be loving in action this week? How can I bring joy to the relationships, to the people that I see? And it can be simple things, like you see everyone. Who doesn't like someone connecting with eye contact, smiling, and waving? People do, Everyone likes it. You know what I've learned to do? We're all kind of afraid of it because you ever had it when someone smiles at you and you wave and you realize they totally just waved and smiled at the person behind you? So you're like, oh, embarrassing. So now you're timid and you pretend like you don't see people. Just stop caring about yourself. We all feel like that. You know what I, I champion? I've told my kids this. I champion. Everyone loves being smiled at. So I like to smile at everyone. Hey, there you go. And then they're looking at someone pass and then I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> Oops. Right? Don't take yourself so seriously. Be a light. There's lots of things you can do to bring joy. All right. So how can we grow this kind of love? Because this is a high standard. It absolutely is. Oh, by the way, I should quickly. Remember that, uh, that quote I read last week from 130 AD? I won't go through the whole thing again, but I just wanted to compare this list to see if, are we hitting this right? Is this what they were known for the early church? Well, I just uh, took some of the pieces out of it. Um, So remember, ordinary people, ordinary clothes, food, marriage, families, all that kind of stuff, jobs. Ordinary people. What set them as extraordinary was they shared all things, they endured all things, they obeyed the laws and surpassed them. It's an interesting thing. They obeyed the laws and surpassed them. They lived at such a standard, it seemed to be higher than the law, and it's hard to define, but they're different. Right? They obeyed the laws and surpassed them. They love all people, not just their own. They lack in all but abound in everything. They revile and bless, insult and give honor, punish for wrongdoing, yet continue to do good. Those who hate them cannot assign a reason to their hatred. Would you say those lists line up? I think they do. That's, those are spirit-filled believers. And it's evident in how they live. It's evident. I love that. Look at this. John 15 verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's an invitation, by the way, if you look at this, it's couched in a bunch of verses that keep saying, pray, ask me anything and I'll answer. I want you to bear fruit. I think sometimes we just ask for the wrong things, (laughs) right? We should go back to that Galatians 5 list and say, Lord, help me with, pick one at a time. Help me do this. I want to do this. Help me with that. He will give you opportunity. He will give you his spirit. He'll give you strength. He'll give you ideas. He loves that because you are bringing the Father glory and you are proving to be his disciples. All right. So we don't run out of time. Growing Christlike love. So how do I grow in this? I'm going to, we're going to cover three things. And the three things that we're going to cover are important things that we need to do. Yeah, they're doing things. But it's important that we also recognize if we don't do them, they will also be the three biggest love killers. Right? So they will either be the three things that are going to help you love At a Christ like level, or they will be the three things that diminish your love to even a low standard by the world. All right, first one. It seems obvious, so I won't spend a lot of time here. Connect with and abide in Christ. You're like, oh, I missed that one. No, most of you are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, absolutely, yes. How can you have Christ like love if you don't know Christ? There's two reasons you need to abide. Well, there's more than that, but I'm going to give you two reasons now as it relates to this point. Number one is, you can't, I can't live for someone and, and, and model them, be an image bearer of somebody that I don't know. How would I ever know what image to bear? How would I know how they would respond to a circumstance? You might say, well, it says love. You just kind of love, and you can kind of figure that out. I don't think we can. Everybody loves different. And I'm not called to love with my love, or your love, but I'm called to love with his love. Well, then I need to actually know him to know what his love is like. I need to experience it so I have something to give. So that's important, and the second thing is, I mean, if you're not connected to the vine, look what it says here. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Like, I know we've covered this a bunch of times, but we'll just keep coming back to it, because guess what, it is equally true Every time we read it or, or say it or preach it. And yet, it's the easiest one to forget. I'm not bearing fruit. This is so hard. Are you spending time with Jesus? We must be spending time with him. Okay, so I'm not going to spend too much more time on that just because th- there is no shortcuts here. That's what I will say. So uh, let's take a look at some steps. What would you can actually do to grow. I am the vine. Yeah, there we go. But it's answered man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, let's look at the steps just for sake of time. I'm skipping here. All right, two steps. Prayerfully make a plan for when and how, and, uh, when, how often, and how long. That, like, put Jesus as Lord even over this, and then prayerfully do it. Now you might be here, and you're saying, "I already have a regular time with the Lord, and I'm doing that." Great. Then use that as a platform to go and bear fruit for the kingdom of heaven. Use it in your mission field. Use it to go and be a joy bringer and a peacemaker. Go and love in action. Look for creative ways. Use it for that. And if you're not there, then start at somewhere. And and I'll encourage you, like I've encouraged many before, be realistic in your goals. So some people, what we do is we we have this idea, right? Like, okay, I got to spend two hours a day or one hour a day, seven days a week, okay? And I'm right now, what are you doing now? Well, not really anything. Well, unless you're a really disciplined person, that may be too big of a goal to start with. It's kind of like an exercise program. You don't start, like as a novice, you don't start with an advanced program. And I'm maybe losing some of you here. But You wouldn't start with an advanced program, you'd start with a light program for beginners. And you'd slowly build yourself up. And I would encourage you to to tackle any discipline that way. Anything in life that you want to learn, you will will learn by disciplining yourself and getting into a routine and making it part of your life. And, And it's no different here. So if you're at one day, maybe your goal is two days. If you're at five minutes, maybe your goal is 15 minutes. And you keep building and you remember though that it's not just about infinite building, the goal isn't to do devotions 24 hours a day. The goal is to go and be a light for Jesus. The goal is to go and be his body. That's the goal. But you're not going to be able to do that if you're not spending enough time with him. And so secondly, connect with others for sharing and accountability. That's one of the best ways to help us grow. We call them cells or small groups or just a friend. If you don't, you don't have an official cell, get together with friends. Share in the word and prayer together. Do it. It helps you. It'll help the person next to you. All right. Second one here, growing Christ-like love, forgive and seek forgiveness. Now I know we've been talking lots about this over the last while. I keep mentioning it every chance I get. And that is because there is almost nothing more destructive than a believer who holds on to offense or anybody who holds on to offense. Even secular science will, will agree with that. As it relates to addiction and attachment dysfunctions, that offense, that unresolved hurts, is a leading cause of why we can't break free. It is poison to your heart or to your mind. It is poison. And as believers, it is poison because nothing will kill your love, your Christ like love, better than offense. And you say, well, why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because no greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. Why did he lay down his life? Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice for what? So he could reconcile people to himself so he could forgive. There is no greater demonstration of love. There is no greater demonstration of his love. To forgive. And that's why I've said it set free before. Those that choose to walk in forgiveness and grace and that seek reconciliation with others, those that do that, what can the enemy do to such people? They're just lights that just shine brightly everywhere they go. And so that's why I'm passionate about this. I do have a question for you because we've been talking about, you know, love as an action. So my question would be this is it possible to love God and hate someone at the same time? Don't answer, but just think about it. Is it possible? Can I be offended? Can I, be, can I have ill will towards someone at the same time as I love God? Can I do that? Well, what does the Bible say? Not what, does I, what do I say, but what does the Bible say? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not. Those are sobering words, and yet it's his highest call because it's wrapped up in loving. It is the primary way that, remember, we're, we're image bearers. We are bearing the image of Christ on the earth, and he died for all people. And he offers forgiveness for anyone who will receive it. And so he says, as I've loved you, you must love one another. You must forgive one another in the same way. In the same way. And this is such a high calling, right? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is such a high calling. Think about this in uh, Matthew. Jesus is, uh, I'll go forward here a little bit, just for sake of time. Lots of scriptures on this, by the way. He talks about it almost more than any other sin. In every conversation he seems to get in Jesus, go through the Gospels. You'll see it when he's talking about prayer, when he's talking about obedience, when he's talking about salvation, Christian living, faithfulness, suddenly prayer, he suddenly mentions, oh, and by the way, if you're standing praying, forgive that your heavenly Father may forgive you. It'll hinder your prayer's unforgiveness. Absolutely it will. But look at this. If you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is God's heart for reconciliation with us. That we bear that image on the earth. And he says, even if you're not the one that's being offended, if you know that someone else is offended at you and you are worshiping God and you realize that, it is so important to God's heart that that person experience the reconciliation and the forgiveness of Christ that that he would rather you lower your hands and go and seek reconciliation right now than to continue on in worship. He says there will be more time to sing praise. There will be time, more time for that. Hebrews, and we could have just sat on this one topic forever, but just to close up here, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled. Many are defiled, whether believers and non-believers, by this root of bitterness. We need to work this thing out of our own lives. It will hinder your, it will hinder your prayers, it will hinder your relationships, it will hinder the call of God that is on your life. So take it seriously. And now I know I don't have time to go into what about in cases of physical abuse or sexual abuse. You know what, when I talk about it at the Set Free, and if you'd meet with me one-on-one, obviously I understand there's process in this, and I understand things aren't always as easy as I may make it sound. Right now, I'm not talking about the ease of the process. I'm talking about why we engage in the process. Does that make sense, the difference? I'm giving you the why. Why we forgive is because Christ forgave us. It's about Him. It's about giving Him worship. And yes, once you actually start doing it, it is some of the hardest work that you'll have to do in this world. Absolutely. So, steps. Ask forgiveness from those who've hurt you. From those whom you've hurt. Oops. (laughs) And by the way, you might say, well, what if I didn't hurt them, but they're mad at me? Then seek reconciliation. Even if you're blameless, seek reconciliation because that's what Jesus would do. Seek reconciliation to the best of your ability. That's what it says in Ephesians as far as it depends on you. No, that's Romans, Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as far as it depends with you, be that peacemaker and you go help. So forgive those who've hurt you. It's a process. Confess, pray, and bless. Remember that last part, bless. When applicable, I'm not talking about there was a case of abuse and now you have to go and do kind things and bring them coffee. I'm not talking about that right now, okay? Most of our bitterness and offense, though, in our lives isn't that. Some of it is, and that's tragic. And that's different. And, and you need... And, We would love to help you work through that. But for the most part, go and bless. And you know what I mean by that? Do something good for the person you're upset upset at or the person who's upset at you. What can you do to be a blessing in their life this week? How can you actively show them the love of Jesus that says, come just as you are to sinners and to saints? That's what we're talking about. And then I just got to quickly just, for the sake of time, you can take a picture and do this in your... In your uh, devotions. Actively love people. The third thing is we actually have to be active in going and doing it. Three categories. Friends, hard to love, enemies. That's levels. Friends, hard to love, enemies. Right? That's the level. We're called to love right to the top. So look for ways. Review that Galatians 5 list in your devotions and look for ways to actively do that. All right. We'll uh, close with a worship song. There they are. They're so wonderful. How about you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, first and foremost, we just want to recognize that our love is inadequate. As we look at the high calling to which you are calling us to love and behave, it's higher than any of us can do on our own. But before we start to ask you and beseech you and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, and yes, we want that, we want to be able to live this out, we first just have to pause and say thank you. Because you are calling us to live at a high standard, yes, but you are calling us to simply do what you've already done. This is the way you love us. You've done so much for us. And so it's actually a joy of ours. It's an honor to be able to take what you've done for us and to be able to give it back for you. We don't have much to offer the God of the universe. But what we do have, we are committing to give to you. And Lord, today I pray for those stuck in the throngs and the bondage of bitterness and offense and hurt. Lord, we don't know how to step out of it. We don't know how. It's... I mean, we can pray, we can try, we, can, we don't want to be there. Today, Lord, we're giving you our yes, our feeble yes. We're saying, yes, Lord, we will forgive. We will. We will walk in forgiveness and grace. But by your spirit, would you bring healing to our hearts? Would you give us love to give back to others? Would you give us perspective to let it go? Would you heal us as a body here that we would be unified in you? Let's worship. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204 326 9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204 326 9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.